podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekender, uh, Neil Atkinson, uh, with you. I've got uh, in front of me uh, Paddy Fitzsimons, Rebecca Loy, I've got Dan Morgan and John Gibbons. Uh, and we're going to be talking, obviously, about Liverpool versus Manchester United. That is very much to come. We've also uh, got Mark Ogden uh, talking about Manchester United as well. And uh, we've got a little bit of, of future chat. Uh, one for the future, John Gibbons and Josh Sexton, was that, yes? Well, Josh did it on his own, but I trail it. I take the glory. Do you? I introduce it. Like That's... it was, here we go, like like Jules Holland. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Josh Sexton. It's yeah, not, yeah, not as good as Adam. <laughs> <laughs> and Amelia was just here as well. We could have got him to do it before he left. Could have got um, him. To do it. So yeah, so so Josh doing all the heavy lifting and me uh, me as his hype man. Excellent stuff. Uh, good to see. Uh, but we will get stuck into first the idea that Paddy uh, Jürgen Klopp is going to go with the lads he's got. Uh, he's made it quite clear. No one else will be leaving at this point from the first team squad. Nat Phillips came, saw, conquered, back to Oof. Stuttgart. Uh, <laughs> let's build a statue. We can crowdfund that. But that to one side. Uh, Liverpool are going with who they have. Uh, nobody is going anywhere. It shows. I think that the manager knows the depth of squad he's going to need to achieve what he wants. Yeah, I think it's a pattern of things you've seen in the past with Klopp. I think we always talk about pre-seasons and how once pre-season starts, he sees them lads as for the whole season. And I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but that there's not been too much business in or out in his times since he came to Liverpool. He, he likes, I think, I think if, if you ask Klopp, he'd, he'd do away with this transfer window unless it was an emergency. I think he sees it as like an unnecessary thing that sort of gets in the way. And I think by this point now, all, all he's seen is getting to the summer and, and, and achieving the things we want to achieve. He doesn't see this as a thing, like, why would you want to get rid of any fringe players? They can all play a part. If you were a fringe player, I don't know why you'd want to leave at this stage of the season. There's potentially two, three more trophies on offer. And you've seen last season, players who are on the fringes of the squad are not seeing many games. Like a Shaqiri from this point last season, till about Barcelona at home, he doesn't see much football and then puts a cross right on Wijnaldum's head and then gets Liverpool to the European Cup final. So I think you can look at things like that and the players can see that and say, well, I've got a part to play and the manager drives that. Yeah, Rebecca, the idea that they've all got a part to play, I think, is something that I think he's keen to, to emphasise with all of them. They can look at recent examples. There's last season, Matip goes from fourth choice centre-half to what he is. Shakiri as mentioned, Divock Origi. I think he is quite, he's engaged, isn't he, with the idea that all of these lads every single week, they, 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 there is something that they can do to add, even if they're not core players like the front three. Totally. I think as um, as we're improving, the the squad is expanding. There's there's more things to play for. There's more things to win. So we 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 need that bigger squad. And if you're willing to sort of sort of be in there with Klopp's plan, and there's like, you know, who knows what what will happen next? Like, who knows where that development will take Shakiri? Like, he's he's definitely got um, a chance of you know with the FA Cup. You know, who knows? Just like. It's the FA. I think the FA Cup's interesting in all of this, John. It, that's the the one that actually grabs me. That there's there's a few of these footballers who, you know, for instance, when you you did something with the Shrewsbury uh, podcast uh, and your email website, and you, you sort of said this is what I think the Liverpool team will be for for Liverpool against Shrewsbury, and it was a uh, it was eleven changges, but it was and they they they, they were laughing their heads. They're saying on Twitter like, oh god, are we ever going to beat them? And because yeah, yeah. the quality in there is so great, and I do wonder whether or not he's thinking actually we can have a bit of a go with this FA Cup without having to make any massive changes. Yeah, it was funny. I, I emailed that over to them and I said there'll be eleven changes. They're great. What's the team? And then I said to them, they were like, oh, like, it was a bit like oh, you know. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> you know, it's all about you know players who are on a completely different level to 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 what they're normally obviously up against, and so it's it's a fantastic situation that we're in, and, and one that we haven't always been in. Sort of obviously over the last sort of ten years or so, that not just are these talented players on the fringes, but they also seem so 
feel like the part of it. You know, you as you say, they won't get it forever. But like Paddy's just said, well, why leave now? You can you can move to a waste club in the summer if you really really want to. <laughs> like, why would you? You know, what's the rush? Let's get some trophies in your in your pocket before you go and 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 and, and enjoy it. And I think they are all enjoying it at the moment. And and one of the the things the club. Well, he's done many brilliant things since coming to Liverpool, isn't he? But one of the most impressive, I think, is how he's kept the people on the fringes feeling so engaged with it, so part of it. And and yeah, we will need them. And and as 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 both you know, Paddy and, and Rebecca said there, like you, you don't know, you don't know what will happen. And you know, Divock who who knew that what season he was going to have last year, and they're always thinking, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm this year's Divock. You know, that's this what, year's Divock's Adam Lallana, by the way. <laughs> well, maybe it is, maybe it is. You know, it's you got you know, we got you got the big goal at Old Trafford. That was a that was and, a big and one and a big run from December of big performances. We, and all that we sort shall of stuff. see. We shall see. I'm not writing anyone off, Neil. Uh, Dan, the one the one who's gone, and therefore, because the interesting thing about this is, is obviously the decisions that the that get made in the context that he's just gone and he, he's not made this overnight it's not like he's woken up this morning and gone that's it it's you know he's he's he's, he's thought this through so I, I'm intrigued by the fact that Brewster's gone and where he's gone to in the you know the idea I think that maybe they've looked at everyone and they've thought what this lad needs is to go and play somewhere as much as possible get football every week where, which he will at Swansea because they've got no one else uh, he had to do 90 minutes on his debut against Cardiff because he didn't have a sub for him uh, and it is the idea of he'll play every week and he'll get some goals in his back pocket and then we'll come back and we'll look again in the summer yeah, but I also thought that for six months they probably thought the best place for him is here in terms of getting him back to where he needs to be. So, you know, there's not a better club in the world than Liverpool for sports science and, and conditioning and stuff like that at the minute and, and players getting fit and being as fit as they can be at the peak all the time. So I think it was a well-being thing with Rian Brewster. I think yeah. it was okay, we get him to the point in which he can't play football again and then we get him out on loan in the second half of the season. I think it was always planned, probably. So you see that he goes and plays 90 minutes as soon as he, go, he walks through the door, but he's able to because he's ready. Um, so I think that's one where I think they're all right. He looks sharp as anything last 15. Yeah, yeah, it does look sharp in a derby. To be honest, he comes on as that big busting stride through the middle of the park and you can just see something with him and... When we're talking about all this, that's I think it's the likes of not so much Brewster at the minute. He's got a bit to prove, but you know, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, I think they're a bit of an outlier in all of this in terms of well, you know, if we if Sergeant Shakiri comes to me at the end of the season and says he wants to move, okay, well there's a there's a clearer path for them. Then I wouldn't I wouldn't expect necessarily it to be a one for one type of thing if if they do go in the summer. I think if the likes of if if for instance Shakiri and Lalana go, I think it's okay. Well, we move Jones and, and Elliott forward. He'll, he'll want to get time, I think, for as many of them as possible, uh, Paddy. And, and we're about to go back into a five-games, a five uh, games, 14 days scenario after Manchester United. Even It's been a funny couple of weeks where there's only really been the one match against Tottenham. Uh, and suddenly now we go back into that. I think it's w- within that, the players who are sort of coming back from injury are going to be absolutely massive for them as well. We'll talk later on about whether or not Fabinho should start against Manchester United. But even just Fabinho being back fit, can play midfield. He said in the past, he'll use him at centre-half. I think he's... He offers just so much flexibility and so much quality from the minute he returns. Yeah, I think with Fabinho coming back, it essentially it's like bringing back two players. He automatically comes back into his position in the six. You'd imagine at some point, but it also allows Henderson to move forward. But then someone can re- Henderson can get a rest one game. Someone can come into that other posi- other favoured forward midfield position. I think on the on the Brewster point, I think the only thing I was surprised about was there's an argument we've got we could, we could have eight to ten league games towards the back end of the season. When, when there's nothing to play for in terms of the mm. league, in terms of the fact that we've won it, and there could have been an argument. I mean, Klopp and 
the staff at Liverpool know a lot more about Madrid than me, but there could have been an argument that him playing them games around our squad and then having that experience of winning the league and still playing a part in it might have been better for him. But as you say, all the rest of the lads coming back in now, they know that it doesn't matter that while they've been out, we've continued to win every game. I'm sure they're all made up, but there's also there's also evidence throughout the whole season that just because you've been out for a period of time, the team has been playing well. There's a, there's a way back in. Adam Milan has found a way back in. There was times we spoke about it before. Joe Gomez looked four straight centre half out the picture, and, and all of a sudden a few injuries, and he, and he comes back in. He's someone who has shown he can pick up little things. So Matip has got to be sharp. I'm ready to come back in at any point. And the same with Fabinho. His place isn't guaranteed, but he's got to be ready to step in at any time. Rebecca, the, the idea of when you go back to five games in 14 days is going back to the idea of picking up injuries, as Paddy's just indicated there. I think that is, you know, as much as it's good to get the lads back who are coming back from injury, it is, we we, we are not going to be impervious from now to the end of the campaign. And that's the other reason why I think he's he's hanging on to, to everyone is that he, he, he will feel as though he needs absolutely everybody from here on in. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think by, well, I'm made up that um, they're all coming back to fitness now but I think I think that the way he's I've really admired the way that he sort of rotated everyone over December um, and just sort of how it's just shown that the his system is sort of bigger than any of the players yeah. Yeah. and that's just been it's like you're in a place where as soon as like Lalana came on the other day I was like yeah that's great like I wasn't worried when like Oxley Chamberlain was coming off, like, and then we're going to talk later about who's going to start. But if Lallana will start in the next game with Manchester, that'll be fine with me. I just feel like the way that all these boys are just sort of because they're just so willing to work for the way he wants them to work. There's just I don't really feel worried about whoever's playing. I think even last season we were a bit like, oh no, like oh, yeah. what's the oh team going to be? Could do without him. Yeah. Two free changes, you yeah. panic. Whereas like you know, totally. the Everton Cup game was was what nine or ten, and you, they just played exactly the same way as the Liverpool always do. Totally, it's just like a trust and clock situation. Just like. Any time, and whoever's playing right now, I just don't feel worried about it. There's something almost, I think, that in many senses, and you know, listen, maybe some people in this room will get to do it in 10, year, 10 15 years' time. You'll talk to the manager, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's saying, you know, he never felt more almost like everything was just transcendent, everything, was, everything he was touching was just working, everything was going absolutely perfect, possibly for his whole career than this point in time, Paddy. I think, I think you can see that at the moment with them, where it does feel as though, well, yeah, we changed three, but the three who are going to come in, two of them are going to be the best players on the pitch. It's just everything at the moment, it just seems like everything's never worked better in his life almost. Yeah, everything working perfectly, and I think the only thing you'd say that he'd turn around and say now that isn't. Is like you said, and it emphasises the importance of these people come back. Is you look at the derby and, and Milner's injury, and I think he'd turn around and say, well, well, he did after the game and said that's because of the games that we're playing. So I think he'd say now that these players come back are so important because the only thing that's going to hold us back at the minute is having to play people, like you said, five games in 14 days. If people are playing back to back to back, it, it's natural. It doesn't matter how good the sports science is, it doesn't matter how, how, how well, how lightly they train or whether it's, it's an increased chance that they're going to pick up injuries. So that's why it's so important that these players come back in now and it's going to be a massive boost for us. You look at when Fabinho got injured and like, I wouldn't say there was panic, but it was a bit like, oh, we could we could struggle here without him because he's been such a key player for us. 
you know, he, he plays that position better, I think, than than, than anyone else. And, and people are starting to worry a bit about, you know, oh, Henderson's look really good. What's he going to be like dropping back? And, and they've literally won every game without him, which is just absolutely unreal, hasn't he? And playing some of our best football. You know, we, you know, you can make an argument that he's he's missed some of the best performances of the season. Certainly if you look at Leicester as, as the kind of the benchmark, which I think a lot of us do. And and that's not me having to go with Fabinho, because Fabinho is obviously brilliant, but it's, it's praising everyone else. And like Rebecca says, praising this, this system that allows people to come in and move around and know exactly what their role is and I think you know Fabino I'm sure will be delighted that, that, that we've won every game but to be a part of him who thinks I need to come back and hit the ground and I need to come in and be excellent because okay. these, these boys you know it's it's worth getting back into this midfield whoever you're at. It's also the humility thing you know externally Chris Wilder talks about it but think of it internally you know if you're if you're Curtis or Nico Williams or someone you're getting told that's how our Jordan Anderson works yeah. in a game of footy that and, and he, look what he's won in the past 12 months look at the three things he's lifted he's not sitting on it so people outside are coming, coming up against Liverpool and saying God you know we turned up there on Tuesday night and they absolutely worked the socks off you imagine at 18s and 16s level they're getting told that's the benchmark the benchmark is you come in and you work from the get-go and if you're not putting the same work rate in then you'll never achieve what they're achieving OK, uh, we'll be back uh, for Manchester United conversation that's very, very soon to come we've got Mark Ogden on that to set up the Man United angle then we'll be chatting about Liverpool uh, as well here, uh, we're going to be looking at the youth side and maybe having a little chat about Bournemouth as well don't go anywhere And it's John Gibbons and I'm joined by Josh Sexton to talk about the academy and we normally do a bit of a one for the future insert around about this time of the month but instead we've got something very special coming up because we've got an insert from a subscriber show that we've done recently where Josh Sexton the man to my left has been down to the academy to speak to both managers both the main dudes yes it's interesting to get sort of both a perspective I think we've been we've been trying it for quite a while and it, and it felt quite nicely with half the season sort of already transpiring so yeah sort of end of sort of 2019 going into next year sort of review and you know it's they're impressive guys, first of all. I mean, people are going to hear them both speak now, but, you know, we've both kind of dealt with them kind of individually and, and together. And what just comes across for me for both of them is obviously the passion for development, the passion for the job, a job that can be quite challenging at times, you know, in terms of they don't know who they're going to work with. It's not like having a football team in, in a strict sense. And, but they, they both just obviously just sort of love it so much. And, you know, I think Liverpool will have uh, lucky, sorry, to have them both. Yeah, and I think it's, we're at a time, aren't we, where we sort of, we associate a lot of good personalities of being involved in Liverpool Football Club and I suppose in a, in a sense we're quite lucky that that is the case but the club are like you say lucky to have people like that who who really care so much about about the, the, the sort of lads development of that age group and obviously given the, the sort of the heights of the last month and, and the things that some of them lads from the academy have gone on to do it's it's, it's quite nice to hear how how much pride they have for, for seeing that, those lads go on and achieve those things and, and it's quite interesting really sort of speaking to Neil Critchley in particular because he he was obviously involved in the Aston Villa game and given the way the result went and things like you can there's there's ways you can sort of look at it and spin it into a negative as some opposition fans are obviously trying to do <laughs> but from from a, from a sort of Liverpool football club perspective I think it was a massively positive experience and, and, you, and you can sort of hear that from, from Neil Critchley's voice as well and, and that sort of pride that he has which I think is probably one of the nicest things about the interview definitely um, first of all we'll hear from Neil Critchley then we'll do a bit, about two minutes of that interview he's had a big couple of months Neil Critchley very eventful uh, is kind of thing that Josh spoke to him about but yeah here is a little bit of Neil Critchley now uh, it was a, an incredible night um, everyone enjoyed it immensely um, the players the staff um, and the performance on the night I thought reflected uh, the way that we work and um, that was the most critical thing for us on the night going into the game we knew it was obviously going to be a tough, tough evening but 
Um, we were adamant that we would play the Liverpool way, our way, uh, and I felt um, we did that. Unfortunately, the scoreline, I didn't actually think reflected the game. Not at all. Um, but we had to we have to take lessons from that also, that these boys are going into a results business, and even though we played some really good football on the night, um, we still weren't good enough in pe both penalty boxes, so that was a good lesson for us. Um, but overall, really, really proud of the boys on the night, and it was a, um, a fantastic night for us, yeah. And you didn't have to look far for feedback on that performance as well, because obviously the away fans who, who travelled in, the, in their numbers as well were, were obviously clearly appreciative of the effort that you and lads have put in. Yeah, that would, um, that would live with me for a long time. It's an old cliche that, you know, um, the supporters stay with you and that how great the support are, but it was it was just amazing. It was incredible. Um, I think they really appreciated the way that the boys played and the effort they gave, and we never give up. We didn't quit. Um, and for them to travel in their thousands and stay right until the end and applaud those young players off the pitch um, was, yeah, it's uh, real special, special it was. Quite an incredible month for, for a lot of the lads in, in your sort of under-23 setup and recording this the day after your final win over Southampton as well. It, it's, it looked like in that performance that they'd sort of, they've noticeably stepped up. A lot of them have increased in stature. You look at the lads like Pedro Chiravella, Curtis Jones in, yeah. in particular, they look like that experience of being in and around the first team, getting those appearances has really made a difference. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they've definitely benefited from um, the experience they've had recently, whether that's the Aston Villa game, whether that's the Everton game, whether that's training at Melwood. Um, it's funny because last night when you, you play that game and uh, I thought it was a fantastic performance. We won comfortably. But, um, you know, you, you hear some things after the game and I looked at their team and I looked at their, our team and when we played them, I think it was the third game of the season, we had six players playing from that evening and they had five and their average age last night was actually older than ours. Um, so... I think you have to put always you put the games in perspective of where they are and I think sometimes I'm the biggest critic of our own players as I think you know when you're working with the players all the time sometimes you see maybe their faults rather than what they can do uh, but I thought last night they showed the, the players shown what they can do and what they're about and I, I was um, yeah I thought it was a, a real fantastic performance but again as we said in the dressing room Whatever they're doing at the moment, keep doing it. But we're here to keep driving them. And if they, we notice any moment of complacency or lack of intensity in training, then um, I will be barking at them with my old grumpy voice. So. Yeah, Critch, what a fella. Don't sound. <laughs> yeah, he is, isn't he? And it's, it's, it was, like I said, it was quite nice to sort of hear that pride coming through. But also, I sort of shared a joke with him at the start about putting one time Liverpool FC manager in, in, in his LinkedIn bio. And he, and he was, he was, he was what's going, LinkedIn? Yeah, he was like, what's LinkedIn? What's Twitter? What's Facebook? I was like, well, you just listed all the social media sites. So if you're into the conspiracy theories about Klopp having Twitter, then I think Neil Critchley probably has it as well. And he's, and he's trying to black that he doesn't. But no, it's, it's just that nice. And I think. As you say, that there are challenges which come to which come to the job, and I think Neil Critchley is one of those managers, one of those coaches at the club who's sort of almost had the most challenges to deal with over 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 the course of 2019 because 
23 is, is is sort of an ever-changing squad it's it's lads who you know there's, there's a few there who probably don't have a massive future at the club and, and maybe need a loan move to, to sort of push themselves to that or just need to sort of get a loan move to put themselves in the shop windows a few lads there with with genuine futures and high ceilings and, and Critch sort of has to deal with them all on, on a day-to-day basis and and find match day squads to put them in and things like that and I think his his is the squad which which always shifted the most last season where it was constantly chopping and changing and I think that was almost reflected in, in the results so it was quite nice to sort of hear him talk about the the fact that they still sort of maintain that unity and that, and hopefully you know heading into the second half of the season they will have a bit more a bit more of a togetherness and a, and a bit more of a solid squad and then they can push on and get some better results okay um josh obviously also spoke to barry lutus barry lutus is the current under 18s manager although he's got a little under 19s team as well who play in europe um more of that coming up uh, this is barry lutus talking about his aspirations for the rest of the season for us you know it, it's kind it, it, it can be quite difficult because because obviously you know the fantastic position we're in and what we've talked about so far is, you know, you know, seeing Jay Kane and Leighton Clarkson play ever so well in the Southampton game, yeah. you know, as a consequence, didn't play for us against Stoke, you know, so, you know, I've always said my job's to try and push as many of the boys on. The more boys we push to the 23s, the more inexperienced our team will look. So then, you know, it'd be really unfair for me to, de- not to demand the standards and the levels we want to get to, but I've got to be fair to the boys as well. So I think we've just got to make sure we take it day to day. We train hard every day. If we can keep pushing boys out of our group into the 23s, there's got to be an expectation that it'll take us time to grow and develop again as a group. So, you know, winning leagues and winning cups, yeah, it's great. And, that, you know, especially the Youth Cup last year, that'll be a memory the lads will keep. And I've mentioned before, same with myself. But, you know, there's a realisation sometimes, you know, you don't always keep, it's not a team. And, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I'll be happy to see if Jake and Leighton can, you know, cement themselves you know, in, in the 23s, that could end up being one of the highlights for for us as an 18s group. So, so yeah, if we can, if we can keep pushing in the league and keep winning games, that'll be great. Uh, you know, we're doing well so far. But, yeah, it's probably not something I'm, I'm kind of talking or thinking too much about because you never quite know what team you're going to have on a Saturday. And, you know, I don't really want to put too much pressure, especially on, you know, I think against Blackburn, as I say, we have three schoolboys in there. And I think that would be really unfair for me to kind of put that pressure on them. But I think they know the expectation here that when you play for Liverpool, you're expected to, to win and, and play well. So they understand that, but I think I've got to be fair to them. Great stuff from Barry there and obviously from Josh as well. He does a great job for us for all the, all the Academy stuff on our One for the Future show. And you can download that show now from the Anfield app, app and obviously absolutely loads more uh, more on everything to do with Liverpool Football Club we have for you on our audio service and, of course, our video service as well. So do download the Anfield app, app and check all that out. You can subscribe through the website. And, yeah, as we say, it's got everything you could possibly want from supporting Liverpool we're sharing the journey of supporting the club best we can from here in the heart of the city so if you're not a subscriber yet hopefully that whetted the appetite and hopefully that got you stuck here and you know Man United this weekend as well that'll be good Uh, but thanks a lot to Josh and now back to the show it's a pleasure to be joined by Peter Rutzler uh, from The Athletic. Uh, you know you can sign up to The Athletic through the Anfield wrap. Uh, there's lots of different ways. We tell you about that. And if you get my daily email as well, it's on there too. But I want to talk about a piece he's written this week uh, about uh, Bournemouth and the situation that they found themselves in and how precarious everything is, Peter. And I think while we in Liverpool and elsewhere think of th- think of Bournemouth as a, a, a as a place with a small ground it's also simultaneously a small place one of the reasons why it's a small pl- a small ground is cuz it's got a small it is a small place and i'm left sort of reading your piece thinking about the fact that it would be and has been firstly it's been an unbelievable achievement from a Bournemouth point of view but it is unbelievably precarious that Bournemouth, the position Bournemouth now suddenly find themselves in because 
there isn't really yet the infrastructure there to support them by the parachute payments if they did go down. Mm, yeah, that's the thing. It's that balance, isn't it, between the two, one side being that incredible story to get them there, and then the other side being when you do when you are there, you know, they, they seem like a stable cup for some time, that it is that just a slight dip and suddenly you're looking down the barrel again. And it's, it's, it is an interesting story, really. I mean, we've always associated Bournemouth now as a, a stable Premier League club. I mean, since they've come up, maybe with the exception of the first season and I think a couple of spells over the last five years, they haven't really, you know, stuff like struggled like this in the Premier League. They haven't really been in a relegation dogfight like this one. Uh, and they've they sort of become the archetypal stable club. I think that, that sort of fits the bracket of, say, Stoke City or a Swansea, and it, where everything seems to be going smoothly, and then, you know, results turn, injuries happen, uh, and suddenly you're looking the other way. And I think it, it's an interesting story with Bournemouth, and, and the piece sort of looks at, the different angles of it and as you say one of those sides to it is, is the size of the place it's not the biggest uh, town in the world it's the small stadium does reflect the population i'm sure they they would love a bigger ground to try and attract more supporters stop them all flooding over the new forest to southampton but you know when it is a small place like that it, it you are recognizable the players are you know they've they walk down the street and most people are either bournemouth fans who'll be recognized the amount of stories you get of people talking to players I mean, the example there is a throwaway comment about, you know, Callum Wilson uh, using a plumber and then the next day he's around someone else's, oh, I saw him, that sort of thing. But it, it genuinely is like that. It is a small place. People know who they are. They know the staff. Um, and that works two ways. So when things are positive, it's great. But when it's negative, you know, you can overhear a conversation in a supermarket and you feel it. You do get that sort of entrapment. And that doesn't help when a team is struggling with confidence, which has been right now is the biggest issue of course there's been injuries but that's only compounded what is you know a real lack of self-belief at the moment and it's reflected in results it seems as though there's a few sort of mini myths that go around this Bournemouth side I think one of those is for instance that they haven't recruited well I'm, I'm always intrigued by Bournemouth's recruitment in that I think whenever you look at Bournemouth's recruitment in any short term sort of window you can make that argument so for instance Philip Billing has been all right this season but Lloyd Kelly Jack Stacey Dan Juman have all struggled to get on the pitch Harry Wilson was positive to start with didn't go so well for him hasn't gone so well for him recently I'm not I don't really want to focus on the Liverpool angle there but then for instance when he was uh, you know Diego Rico was actually had a quite a good season last season David Brooks did well in general last season Jefferson Lerm has been relatively tidy yes it's not worked for Solanke but Ake two seasons ago do you know what I mean like there's this idea that every single summer you're able to go oh well they haven't bought well at all but actually when you have a little look at it the, the players that they've had have matured relatively well but it it does feel a little bit like they've been caught on the hop between recruitment and injuries this year yeah it's definitely the case i mean there are certainly some some myths that do float around you know for example one that's very common is the idea that they're bankrolled by a billionaire which isn't true they do have a russian owner he is a millionaire but he's not by any stretch he's not roman abramovich um and then it comes back to the transfer dealings this idea that you know they've wasted tons of money on players and when you actually break it down it's not really the case I mean you take Jordan Ibe and you take Dominic Solanke um, neither have worked out I mean Solanke's now with the, not with the first team he's training with the reserves and Dominic Solanke you know he's, he did score his first goal against Luton last week and you know generally Eddie Howe I think it says he's, a, he's done well and you can see the value in his performances but he's not had the you know the numbers that reflect a, a £17 million outlay and they do sort of you know mask the rest of what they've done. I mean, take Aaron Ramsdale, the goalkeeper. 
picked up for £800,000 from Sheffield United. He's now, you know, he's, he's still very, really young. Uh, First-choice Premier League goalkeeper with, you know, expectations that he could become an England international. Mm. Um, those are the kind of signings that seem to get overlooked. Obviously, Nathan Ake's done fantastically well. Lucas Jackson Cook, Andrew. sorry, uh, Lucas Cook. L- Lewis Cook for £6.3 million, for instance, and, and yeah. I, only injuries stopped him from looking a hell of a player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, injuries are... <laughs> talk about injuries all night, really, but, you know, it's... It, Lewis Cook is another one. David Brooks has been fantastic. His his injury this season has, has been a real, real, uh, real blow, especially for the way Bournemouth now play that sort of counter-attacking style. And he's so important to that. And he had a setback on his ankle, which was a major blow. Um, but then, you know, even other examples, like I was going to say Jackson Lerma, I mean, he was the biggest, uh, most expensive signing, but he's been a fantastic player in, in a defensive sense. Um you know, you wouldn't find anyone saying that he'd been a poor outlay. And as you say, the summer ones haven't kicked on because generally they, they like to take time. You know, they sign young because they can't afford to buy established Premier League players. They develop them up. And then the idea would be, presumably, to sell them on. But because they're still so fresh, really, in relative terms to the Premier League, they haven't really had that opportunity to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think above all, especially with the new signs coming in, it's injuries and injuries have hampered. Brooks this year, but Dan Juma, who was a new signing in the summer, he hasn't been able to settle yet, and it does take time to settle. Um, Lloyd Kelly hasn't made his Premier League debut yet. He's back training at the moment, but he's been out for most of the season. Uh, Jack Stacey's come in and done well, but he had the jump from League One to the Premier League, really. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a huge jump. And that's, those are the sort of things that are, are sort of missed, really. And I, I would certainly say that there are a few myths about their recruitment. Sure, there's, there's you know, some that haven't gone so well, and I think the club would readily accept that. But you know, even the best managers, the best clubs in the world make make mistakes. And I guess when you're at this end of the Premier League table, they're, they're the fine margin. It's, in general, whenever I've seen Bournemouth this season, the one thing I do think is sort of presence. And they've, they've looked to me just to be that tiny little bit stale for the first time, really. A, a little like, not quite like they've been worked out. And I think there's a really interesting moment here with both Bournemouth and Burnley, where, for instance, Bournemouth have spent in this sort of way, uh, not gone crazy on wage bill, but have spent in this sort of way, whereas Burnley have avoided that. But there is a, a slight similarity where, you know... Eddie Howe is so important to the club, but you know, at the moment, it's easy to say from afar. But at the moment, there just does seem to be a tiny little bit of staleness in performance. There's nowhere near the amount of creativity there's been in the past. There's no real sort of flights of fancy amongst everyone. Everyone's gone off the boil at once. It all looks a little like hard work whenever you see Bournemouth for everybody on the pitch. It's hard to argue with that, really. Um, there's definitely an interesting comparison with Burnley in terms of you know Burnley themselves are not in good form at all. Um, but it's it's just because, as you say, you know, the performances they lack that creativity. You know, we we associate Bournemouth with attacking football, and even even though they have had this this tactical shift where they're slightly more counter-attacking, they're still all about being on the front foot, taking chances, creating chances, ripping teams apart. You know, bursting forward in numbers. It's why Howe always likes to play with with two strikers. Uh, but it's it just not felt natural this season. It's not cohesive. The, tactically, they've looked a little bit off the boil and. They haven't really played in the same sort of you know, vibrant team spirit style that sort of defined Bournemouth, and and maybe there is a case for, for being stale. You know, it's because you look at it and you go, well, what needs to change here? Mm. And it's hard to say to pinpoint an exact reason, other than you know, you can definitely say injuries because that has such a massive effect, not just in terms of confidence, but if you're trying to introduce new players into a squad, into a squad, 
if you're trying to change the style slightly, if you're trying to make tactical plans, if you're trying to work during the week and the players you're working with suddenly drop out constantly and it's always different names every week, it becomes very, very difficult and that's understandable and it can spiral. So that's the one side of it. But then the other side of it is, well, even when, even at the start of the season, it wasn't as though Bournemouth were blowing teams away. We weren't seeing, we were only seeing glimmers of what we know they're good at. Um, and that's probably what is the most concerning part, the fact that we can't see that former Bournemouth style. And maybe there is that case of, of staleness, but that engenders maybe new ideas, new thinking is, is maybe what they need. It, it strikes me as a really interesting sort of situation that it may well be the case that Bournemouth could sort of do with Eddie Howe deciding to be director of football for five months and being able to bring someone in and then sort of start to get into some, you know, if you want to play, I mean, beyond fantasy football, it may just be that everyone just needs, including maybe Eddie himself, because he's been so integral to the club that everyone just needs a tiny little break, something new to think about, something new to deal with, a couple of new ideas, and also maybe to be a little less predictable for, for, for opposition sides as well, because my worry for Bournemouth where I think there is a similarity with Burnley is that everyone's played them and a lot of sides have played them eight times and I do think that that's you know I do think that that can have a knock-on effect sometimes where everyone just sort of the that what was once fresh becomes familiar not just internally but also externally no that's a good point it's definitely a good point and I think certainly this idea that they need some kind of new thinking um whether that means something as radical as how moving to a different position. Uh, club, got, it's obviously sure. ridiculous, but it's more, yeah. No, but of course, it, it would it would require that sort of blue sky thinking. And, and, you know, sometimes I think there's people, you know, say, well, maybe get a Tony Pulitzer as an advisor or a Harry Redknapp as an advisor, but that would never happen because if you, yeah. at the moment you do that, it's like getting someone to, to do, say, you're, you're not doing your job properly, we'll get someone else to help you with it. It's like, well, if they think that, I might as well not do it at all. I don't think they'd ever get rid of Eddie Howe, and that's, you know, it's rightly so. I mean, Taken, he's built the club from the ground up. It's, it's his team, it's his club. Every success they have now, the five years is all down to him. And if they were to, you know, I think we'd have to really question football as a whole if Bournemouth decided to shaft him and, and get rid of him. But, you know, and even if they did go down, who better to have as a manager than someone who's got three promotions on their CV? So it's, it's, it's very much a difficult situation and I, there's definitely a case, in, in my opinion, for new ideas, new thinking, so maybe a new body into just to change what, what, what the thinking is and as you say, because it can become predictable. But the other side to it, as I say, is, you know, circumstances have, have contrived against them and, and it can spiral and it's just about arresting that and even if it, new ideas or new thinking can just help find that, that self-belief again because, I mean, the game against Watford on, on Sunday was... It was two nervy teams, both quite, it was quite tight until Bournemouth conceded a wretched goal. And by that point, the confidence fell apart, the atmosphere fell apart. And those are the kind of things you need to avoid because it's just blow after blow at the moment. And the, that's the thing, when, when they do go down, it, should they go down, it, you know, they have got a high wage bill. They make no apologies for the fact that, you know, they've got, they're very reliant on TV money and it would mean extensive changes, really. Um you know, it's it's one of those things, really, and it's just how they how they can go to the next games, which are all very very crucial. It's just to go through those next games for for our listeners. There, uh, it's Norwich away, um, and then it's followed up uh, very very quickly Tuesday night, uh, Brighton uh, at home. Uh, after that, there's the the, the there's the, the the cup comes back in, but then Saturday the first of February it's Villa at home, uh, and then that is followed uh, by uh, Sheffield United away, uh, and then after that I think it's Burnley to go all the way ahead, Burnley away uh, a few uh, distance into February. The point about this is 
if there's ever a time to find some form from somewhere, if there's ever a time to get a bit of luck, if there's ever a time to, you know, for Callum Wilson suddenly to score six goals in four games, now is that time, isn't it? It has to be now, really. I think Eddie Howe himself said it's season-defining and I think the running is, you know, it's Leicester, it's Tottenham, it's Man United, it's Manchester City. Um, you don't want that. Southampton as well are, in, <laughs> are among them. I think Everton as well. And that rounds off the end of the season. So what, if they're in a point where they're still clinging on, you're looking at real miracles by that point. Um, so these are the games they do need to pick up points in because these are the second time round and uh, there are teams around them. And it, those this season are the teams they've struggled against. Um it's definitely that creative spark that they're missing. It's, you know, Callum Wilson hasn't been scoring, but he hasn't had any chances either. There's a sort of that one in the two. It's like, well, what's he doing differently? Is he doing something differently? But, you know, is he getting the service on the team? We've talked about Ryan Fraser before, about how his form's just nowhere near the same level. But it's symptomatic of the rest of the team that something is not clicking properly. Something is not, especially in the attacking sense, which is what Bournemouth and, and, and Eddie Howe pride themselves on. And, it has to be in these games. And, I mean, when they go to Norwich on, on Saturday, a team that have really, really struggled, that's a team you would fancy yourself to find that attacking player. Um, they, they sort of did against Luton in the FA Cup. It was Luton, you know, the bottom of the championship and make all the excuses you want for that. But there is still goals there if they can find that formula again in the Premier League. And it's just getting that right, build a little bit of momentum, and that can be enough to turn things around. But it's got to happen. And the thing is, it's got to happen quickly. Excellent stuff. Uh, you can read Peter's piece. It is a really, really good long look at uh, everything that's going on at, at a specific football club that sets the scene brilliantly. Uh, it is on The Athletic. You know how to sign up by now. Uh, and if you don't, ask us. Uh, we're not very far, very difficult to find. Uh, thank you very much to Peter. Uh, we'll get back on with the rest of our show. And it's John Gibbons with the Last Fan Standing insert. And Last Fan Standing is a quiz app, uh, LFC quiz app that we have teamed up with this season. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Me and Neil have been doing the quizzes on a Friday night for Last Fan Standing and also the match predictor quizzes as well. So how it works, if you don't know, and you uh, haven't been listening to this feature this season, it's basically a quiz app on your phone. It's completely free to download. They do a quiz game every night at 7 o'clock, which is just for fun. It's just testing new LFC knowledge and seeing how you get on. And then the predictor quiz, which is around the matches so that'll be at the weekends or the midweek games whenever it is Liverpool play and it's uh, all the days in the, in the week coming up uh, at the moment whenever Liverpool play to do a predictor quiz which you can win cash prizes and I know quite a lot of you Anfield Rap listeners have won some decent money playing it so uh, well in if you're a recent winner on that so we just want to promote that we want to get people playing as I say it's completely free to download the app it's free to get involved and you can win a few quid and when the Reds win and you win on the money as well that's not too bad at all so how it works in terms of the last fan standing it is how it says so as soon as you get a question wrong you are out but if you can get to the end and it's eight questions per quiz then you then you take the money uh, well if it's a predictor quiz or you just take the glory if it's uh, Monday to Friday at seven o'clock so we're gonna have a little go now of one of them and I'm joined on the phone by Eamon Robertson Eamon thanks for taking part no worries where about to, where about to, am I calling you from where, where do you live I live in London. Okay. Uh, but I grew up in Blackpool. Oh, right. Okay. So you've gone a long way there then, right from the north to uh, London. How are you finding it? Oh, it's all right. I've lived there 20 years now, so it's, it's all right. <laughs> so you must, you must think it's okay. Yeah, you must, yeah, you must be. Okay. And uh, do, you tend yeah. to, do you tend to go out to watch the games? Have you got a decent pub to watch it, or do you just kind of shack uh, up at home? I, I tend to watch it at home these days, to be honest. Yeah, for um, good. Yeah, wife and kids and all that. <laughs> I know what that is like. I know what that is like. Uh, okay, so we'll get going on this. So this is the last fan standing quiz. Good luck to Eamon. Uh Question one is, did Lalana start against Spurs last weekend? Yes or no? 
no. That okay, is correct. Bench, I think, didn't yeah, he? yeah. Um, correct. Okay, question two. Peter Beardsley has played for Liverpool, Everton and Man United. Is that true or false? That is True. It is true. It's a good quiz question. That uh, Peter Beardsley uh, was on the books at least at Liverpool, Everton, or Man United. Um, I'm not sure how many first team appearances oh, he no. actually. Oh, I thought I'd lost you there. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, you. I'm, I'm here. Don't you worry. Um, okay. Uh, question three. Uh, Minamino was signed from which team? Was it Ball or Salzburg? Uh, Salzburg. Yep. Correct. Flying here. Number four. Paul Pogba hasn't scored in the Premier League for Man United this season. Is it true or false? Oh. Crikey. Um, I'm trying to think now. Uh, no, I'm going to say false. It's true. I'm afraid he hasn't scored oh. in the Premier League this season. I think he's missed a penalty, actually. Uh, yeah, you would have thought he'd have scored at least one, but Pogba gets to score. And I don't think that's tempting fate because he's not going to be fit for the weekend anyway. But three isn't bad, Eamon. We've had worse. I will say. Well, okay. That, that fills me with <laughs> We have a bit. A bit Just before we go, are you, are you confident for the weekend? Are you confident for the Reds? Um, I, I, I'm, a fully, I'm a proper pessimist, but yeah, probably. I feel re- relatively confident. Are you like me, whereas I... When we ever, whenever we play Man United, um, you know, we sound the sort of similar age, and you know, I always just think, well, it's with Man United, so I always get nerves just by playing them, no matter you know how many points we are ahead of them. It's, it, I hate watching the Man United games. It's, it's just, I'm a bundle of nerves, even at like three 0 up or whatever. <laughs> Until it gets to stoppage time, and I think, well, they can't score three now. Because <laughs> that's, that's what they used to do. Uh, listen, thanks a lot to Ava for playing. As I say, do download the Last Fan Standing app. Get involved. Uh, myself and Neil will be doing the quiz Friday night at 7 o'clock and obviously the match one on Sunday as well which you can play up to three hours before kickoff and yeah win some money but thanks a lot to Eamon and yep back to the main show Neil Atkinson and Andy Heaton talking to Mark Ogden from ESPN senior football writer there about Manchester United they're coming at the weekend we'll get into the specifics who Mark thinks will be fit who Mark thinks won't be fit the the Man United question from afar Mark and it's not that far it's 40 miles but is always what's the journey looking like and even now, I think it's really strange we're this far into this season, however many since since Alex Ferguson left. And I still can't tell you what the journey is. I can't the end point will be at one day Manchester United will win another title and will win another European Cup. They're too big not to. But the timelines on it are still really, really, really vague. I think if you ask people that are connected to the club as fans, they'll say that until the Glazers move out and Ed Woodward is replaced, it'll be as you were. Assuming the mistakes being made and repeated mistakes. I think it gets back to the fact that you haven't got the right people at the top of the club. And some somebody told me a while ago that a good CEO, if he's a 9 out of 10, he'll appoint an 8 out of 10 to do the managing director job or the commercial job or whatever. If your CEO is a 5 out of 10, he'll appoint a 4 out of 10. And I think if you look at Man United at the moment, throughout the club, from, from the manager, the coaching staff, people behind the scenes, they're all 4 and 5s out of 10. There's nobody you'd say, he's good. you know. And I think that you know footballers win matches and coaches win matches with the tactics but I think it, it, it comes down from the top of the, the people they appoint and bring in and you look at the United backroom staff and the, the whole setup at the minute it's not very impressive Is it I mean is this down to is it a cultural thing is it a blind spot I mean how is this sustained for like so long I mean this is coming from a club that had, had its own issues for years and years and years behind the scenes but I don't quite see is it like almost like a protectionist thing or is it because what did they deal with? He's so closely associated with the Glazers that they won't get rid of him. I mean, I don't. From yeah, I mean, outside looking in, it, it just looks mad. Yeah, I mean, without boring anyone to death with all the history of it, basically, Edward was at, uh, I think it was JP Morgan during the takeover. He advised the Glazers. The Glazers were so impressed by 
the way he did the takeover, that they appointed him as a, gave him a job at the club. He became the commercial guy, made loads of money. I mean, let's be honest, anyone could make money as the commercial guy at Man United because you basically push it an open door. Yeah. Uh, when David Gill stepped down, Ed became the top man, the, the, the CEO. And the problem was, I think he and Richard Arnold, the managing director, went into that job thinking that they've conquered the commercial world. It was the same in football, whereas everybody wants to talk to you if you're Man United when you're selling shirts, basically, they say, but, you know, the world of signing players is completely different and it's it's a, you know, dog-eat-dog world. There's a lot of stuff going on that these commercial guys aren't really used to. So they've come in, they were unqualified. The perfect storm with David Moyes being appointed, he was just the wrong guy, wrong time. Well, always the wrong time for David Moyes, the Man United <laughs> manager. And his, Moyes' inability combined with Woodward's inexperience and inability led to so many mistakes being made that they're still catching up. And that is the, that is the reality, but they're still catching up the mistakes they made post-Ferguson. A lot of the mistakes were made pre-Ferguson going. Mm. I remember being at a press conference in probably 2011, 2010, when he was, Ferguson was ranting about Man City spending kamikaze money in the transfer market, wasting money on Yaya Torre, wasting money on James Milner, wasting money on David Silva, as he was unveiling Bebe, Chris Smalling and Javier Hernandez, I think. So, you know, where's the value in that? It seems like to go sort of to pull right the way back to that sort of pre-Ferguson leaving era, the, the the Robin van Persie thing was, I'm buying this fellow, he's going to win us the league. Mm-hmm. And in many senses, in a in a purely managerial sense, in a, I would argue the, the Ferguson's last title is in many ways his best because by no means has he got the best squad of players or anything like that. But sheer will yeah. drove them on. But as you say there. What he leaves, and this isn't to, to downplay his achievements, he's you know a remarkably successful and brilliant football manager, but it did seem a little bit like he was sorting his own last hurrah out rather than sorting out a legacy he was going to be able to pass on to whoever the next manager was, even if it wasn't David Moyes. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was a case of Van Persie or Robert Lewandowski, and I think, you know, at the time, you'd say Van Persie was so good at the time that you'd think, well, he was the right guy to sign, but Lewandowski, long-term, would have been a better bet. But I think you look at when Liverpool, their decline started in the early 90s, I think they had an old squad that, Obviously, needed you know reinvention. Ferguson left quite a young squad and an old squad, if that makes sense. The, yeah. the older players needed replacement. He brought in the likes of Smalling and Jones and the other young players there. He just bought the wrong players. He, I think he built Phil Jones as potentially the best player the club's ever had at one point, and uh, that's sadly proven not to be true. Um, but the, the older players that he had, I think, they could have bridged the gap a lot easier if they'd brought Mourinho in at the time when Ferguson left, because they, he would have got more out of the Villages, the Ferdinands, the Scholeses, because when Moyes came in, they just looked at him thinking, who are you and what have you ever done? Who's Jimmy Lumsden? Who's Steve Round? And it was just, the amount of players who were there at the time would tell you that it was just chaos and it was just such a bad appointment. And I think they're still suffering from that. I, I spoke to someone um, who was close to Everton when United at the point of Moyes, and he went, and this is... This is in hindsight. This is before he'd even managed the game for them. And he said, "I said, I think he'll struggle." And I said, "This is a lad who, who likes Moyes." And so, why is that? He goes, "Very easy being David Moyes in Everton mm. and shouting at three lads in the Everton dressing room because you're David Moyes. You've come in. You've improved the league position year on year. You qualify for the Champions League. No one's going to challenge you. You've got one superstar player at Everton or yeah. one really good player. You can still bollock him because the rest of the lads have got your back." But he said, "If he goes into Man United's dressing room and yeah. starts acting like that, you've got a chance." Well, you've all heard the story about Fidic and Ferdinand and the Phil Jagielka mm. video clip. Well, the, it, Moyes brings him in and basically says, "I needed to watch these clips of Phil Jagielka, how he heads, how he defends the ball, and you know he's telling Fidic and Ferdinand how to defend like Phil Jagielka." <laughs> in a way, it's, I guess it's like he was your Roy Hodgson, United's Roy Hodgson, in the sense that he just didn't understand the club and didn't see the need to change for the club. And Liverpool got out of the Hodgson 
uh, tailspin a lot quicker than United have under Moyes. But I do think that the confidence that United lost because of Moyes and finishing outside the top six at the time, not being the Champions League, it's, it's affected everybody. You mentioned Hodgson. Is there a, par- a slight parallel between Oza pointing Daglish, which was universally welcomed at the time mm. and it's still one of the greatest days of my life when he came back and then Solskjaer at United in regards to he's in there now and when it turns out that it's not quite working it's a little bit difficult to then deal yeah, with Yeah, I think there's definitely a parallel um, I'm not sure the point was made on those lines at the outset it was just anybody but Mourinho because it was such a toxic environment when Mourinho left but Solskjaer came in and did much better than anyone expected and they fell for the romance of it and all the fans were happy so Woodward and the Glazers are thinking we're not getting any stick at the moment they all love Solskjaer so let's go down this route but I'm not quite you're not, you're not better than me but before Daglis left was there a, I think there's definitely a growing sense of Solskjaer's not the right man amongst the United fans they're looking at him thinking almost they're almost thinking he's now become a bit of a mouthpiece for, for the Woodward <clears> regime <throat> they don't think he's up to it tactically they like the fact that he's bringing kids through but there's too many of them but I don't know under Daglis whether there was ever any sense of the Liverpool fans thinking nah this guy's not right it was more get to the end of the season and look at it then. And, right, okay. and the club hierarchy did the right thing. I think no one really wanted to say around March. I remember one of our it was one of our early shows the first time someone said, I think Kenny might have to go here. And it felt like a big moment that someone had said it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But a, a lot of people in the room were thinking it up to a point. But it all felt, we did a show called We Need to Talk About Kenny at the end of the season where everyone gave the view and went round and it sort of split 50-50 across the room, yeah. And it was, you know, it was it was all pretty, and with everything about Daglish being the way in which it was, you know, it was deeply emotional. But then, because yeah, my... My position was always, and this is why I think it's strange in a sense that Solskjaer got the following season. My position was on it was always, I just wouldn't want to get to October and we've started with him mm-hmm. and you realise that it's not there. And that's why I think to go back to the hierarchy point that you made before, Mark, it you it almost sounds as though some of the people in this United hierarchy are just quite happy to live week to week mm. and not and, and sort of say, well, we're not getting any grief this week. We've just got through the FA Cup game. Let's hope we get a draw at Anfield. But it becomes that we're just all sort of trying to get through a week's news, news cycle without anybody slaughtering anyone. You know, I think it is. And again, somebody in the game pointed this out to me. If you look at Man City, their hierarchy, ruthless winners, they want to win. Chelsea's the same. You know, Abramovich, Marina, they're not idiots. They're not, Liverpool, I think they're developing that. They're, they've got a toughness. You know, FSG have got a toughness and a ruthlessness about them. I've been told the Glazers are too nice in terms of, and Woodward's too nice. They, you don't get the sense that they're, they get up in the morning desperate to win. You get the sense that they get up in the morning looking at the, the New York Stock Exchange thinking, what's the club worth today? Apparently, it's worth more at the minute than it's ever been worth. And they're, yeah. they're hopeless. So for them, I, I don't think that their reason to be at Man United is to win the Champions League and win the Premier League. It's just to. Just to kind of milk the the brand, as they say. But how how far does that sustain? I mean, if they don't qualify for the top four yeah, well, again this year, you know, and then you the the, the the Deloitte list, I have to say, Deloitte came out earlier in this week, and you know, I mean, all right, City and Liverpool are still a ways behind. Not that we brought in some of the finance side of it, but City and Liverpool are still a ways behind, but they're a lot closer yeah. now than what they've ever been and then the gap between but, United and Madrid and Barcelona mm-hmm. is so ever, that is Anthony Fulman comes in what I'd say there though is that if, they, if they're not actually bothered where they are in the league table but bothered only where they are on the balance sheet in the stock exchange mm-hmm. that's a little bit different so even the Deloitte thing you you and I might think they wouldn't even want to be overtaken in terms of the amount of cash but if all they care about is the money in the bank and the value mm-hmm. then they can go well we don't care about that even it's, it's, well, we'd like to be doing better but one of the biggest mistakes Woodward made he did one of these conference calls where every three months you have to speak to the investors and he said and I think it was about two years ago now that winning doesn't affect United's kind of bottom line they don't need to win to be successful commercially which 
it was rightly criticised for the time, but it's, it's nonsense that because United will always attract sponsors and commercial value because they're such a big brand globally. Liverpool sustained it for 20 years, but I do think that people want to be associated with winning brands. Yeah. And the reason why Nike have gone into Liverpool is because at the minute it's, such, it's a cool brand, it's a winning brand, they've got great personalities in Klopp, in Van Dijk, in Salah. United haven't got any of that. And ultimately, if, if you're a big brand in the US or the Far East and you want to get into football, you look at Liverpool and Man United right now, you think, well... Why would you go to Man United? Well, one looks more of a laugh as well. It's yeah. almost a thing, and that sounds that's a really soft sort of thing, but one just looks more enjoyable, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. That yeah. all being said, that all being said, I'm still really, really worried about the weekend, you know? Well, I mean, listen, going back to the 80s and when I was watching United, you always knew that, even though Liverpool were brilliant at the time, that United would get a result there. It was just... And going back the other way, when United were brilliant and Liverpool were struggling, you always knew that was the game. Danny Murphy, you know... Danny Murphy scored so many winning goals at Old Trafford. On my birthday, twice. Mm-hmm. It was so. I was thinking of the, oh, the other day when about this game. Have the two sides ever been this far apart in terms of quality? And they probably, they probably have been. I mean, there was. I mean, Liverpool under Hodgson, I guess, were pretty bad. But there's such a golfing class at the minute between Liverpool and United, between Liverpool and most teams right now. So you, do, you funny you mentioned Hodgson there and the, the cultural aspect. What did for Hodgson? Was when remember when Ferguson called Torres a diver? Yeah. And what done for Hodgson? He said, "He said, well, uh, who am I to argue with, Sir yeah. Alex? You well, don't, you, you don't. I mean, well, there, there's an open goal. So if yeah. you're if you're Liverpool manager, and you're Roy Hodgson, and your stock's already really low. If you want to get anything back, there's an open goal. Well, it's like when David Moyes that Liverpool were favourites to beat United in a game at Old Trafford. It's some things you just don't say. You know, there's there's some things you just don't say because there's so much history United Liverpool that. There's a confidence, a self-confidence about both clubs that they will always go into any game thinking they can and should win. So United are probably the only team that will go to Anfield at any given time and think, so what, we're not bothered about this, we're not bothered about the court, we're not bothered about the atmosphere because we've got a bigger ground and bigger atmosphere, you know, potentially. I think City might get spooked by Arsenal aren't big enough to compete, but United are. And it's the same when Liverpool come to Old Trafford that it's like, yeah, and. And I think this weekend, the United fans will turn up with that attitude, but if they could kind of transplant a decent midfield, they might have a chance. But it, well, are you expecting in terms of team? Uh, Rashford goes off injured in the FA Cup game. Are you expecting it to be different from the Norwich eleven? Um, I think Rashford is probably sixty forty likely to play on the, on the sense that it was a it was a kick in the back rather than a, a strain, as far as we know at the minute. So, you know, he's a, he's a tough kid, Rashford. And he's, I think we've got from speaking now what three days to recover, so I think he'll be yeah. okay. Beyond that. Um, Definitely got many options midfield wise. They're pretty light. There's no McTominay. There's no Pogba. I think Pereira is one of the worst midfielders I've ever seen in a United shirt, but he'll play. Um, at fullback, Williams will play ahead of Shaw. I think Shaw, Williams has got something about him, but I think he can be certainly caught out with mm. his inexperience. But Shaw has just gone off the rails in terms of as a, as a footballer. He's the wrong shape to be a footballer. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it'll be rotund. Yeah, I, exactly. I've never seen a player the same shape as him, to be honest. Um, He's had his injury problems, but still, the, you know, it just doesn't look right. Um, it'd be a case of, is it Daniel James? Was it Mason Greenwood? He'd probably go with James, but it's a toss of a coin, really. Uh, so it, won't, it probably won't be Matter even though we get to the goal midweek, because I know we started against Norwich. I'd be amazed if Matter starts. He doesn't really start many Premier League games, he's just too slow. Solskjaer doesn't seem to trust him. I don't think Solskjaer actually likes players that have got a bit of creativity. Certainly not Matter because he's just too slow, too lightweight. I think Solskjaer prefers, you know, Four three three and just keep it safe. Do you think he might? Social might spring a surprise with 
how they approach the game. I mean, so if there's this attitude with it being Liverpool that you're going to, mm. whereas, whereas Mourinho, just Mourinho, the mm. death out of it, do you think he might bring a surprise? Because I mean, obviously, he's obviously been playing counter attacking football mm. this year. Like, do you think he might try and get a jump and just go for it? Because it's certainly get the crowd on side if they get a good, if they have a good 10, 15 opening. Yeah, I just, think, I don't think United can play many other ways than the way they do play. The, the way they played at City was probably the blueprint. Sit back, soak it up, and hit them on the counter attack. But it's a dangerous game to play at Anfield. I don't think they can go to Anfield and and try and hold out for a draw like Mourinho would because they haven't got the players. But then I don't think they can try and dominate the game because again they haven't got the players. So the only tactic they've got that can work and has worked is sit back and hit them on the counter. But McTominay played at Anfield uh, at Man City and he's he's not fitting. He was good at Old Trafford. Yeah, when we, McTominay. Yeah. I think McTominay's got a real chance, but. He's out for another what, maybe four weeks, so uh, they haven't got his athleticism in field. So it's probably Matic who doesn't offer the same qualities. I'm, I'm on a personal level absolutely overjoyed with the idea that Matic is going to start this game. Um, I've long considered him to be a wardrobe. Uh, I think he's exactly the sort of the sort of man. Listen, he might prove me wrong, and he might be man of the match, but he's exactly the sort of midfielder who Liverpool enjoy dancing around, and has been for three seasons. It's not nothing new. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, again, that all being said, and I don't know whether it's the confirmation bias. I'm, I'm still really worried about Sunday. I wanted to ask you about because we were talking about before. Um, talking about sliding doors. Liverpool haven't had a decent goalkeeper for a decade. Mm. In that decade, you've had the best goalkeeper in Europe, and now we find ourselves in this mad situation where Liverpool have got Alisson Becker. And I, I don't watch every United game, so I can't say. So this is a genuine question: De Gea, is De Gea being judged? by his previously ridiculous standards or has the drop-off been that much? Because he doesn't seem to be quite where he was. Uh, he's being judged by his previous high standards, but I think there's also an element of denial, Emperor's new clothes about it. I don't think a lot of the fans won't see it. People at the club won't see it. They gave a new contract early this season when I think they should have said, look, mate, you've dropped off, so on your way we'll get somebody better in like Oblak or something. But for me, De Gea is a great shot stopper, yeah. Um, he was one of the best, the best in the world for a couple of years, but... I've said this in the past and I've been criticised for it, certainly on Twitter, that he's an outdated goalkeeper because nowadays the goalkeepers that are the best keepers, I think, it's certainly the Premier League, Edison and Alisson, they, they defend you know, 40 yards on the goal. And I, I put this tweet out the weekend at Spurs, Alisson was, Liverpool attacking and Alisson holds that position halfway between his penalty area and, his, and the centre circle. De Gea never leaves his penalty area. And the amount of times you see the ball coming over the top and De Gea rapidly backpedalling to his six-yard box, you just think, you just think, well, he's just inviting pressure there. And I think some of the players at United would prefer Romero behind them because he allows it to defend a bit higher. So De Gea makes a lot more saves than most keepers, but that is because of the way he plays. He invites that on, and uh, I, I think that United would have been better off cutting the losses on De Gea and letting him go. Were you expecting it at the weekend? Um, <laughs> I'm expecting to be free. no, 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 not to pin you down. Like, <laughs> listen, it could, it really could go anywhere. I think. Liverpool's record is incredible at Anfield right now. 11 straight wins. They haven't lost at home since April 2017. I don't see United going there and winning, but United could go there. I mean, I'm not trying to get out of it. They could go there and win because they have that pace on the break. Um, I just think United are so weak in midfield and they've got defensive problems. I just think United will give it a good shot and lose 3-1. Do you see any weakness in the Liverpool team? I mean, uh, well, I mean there obviously is, but yeah. I mean, from your perspective, wait. Um, I think the midfield, Liverpool's midfield probably lacks a bit of creativity and flair but doesn't lack the work rate and you know desire and I think Jordan Henderson's a funny one because you look at Henderson what are his qualities and you can't identify one outstanding quality apart from his his energy his commitment 
and people say, oh, is that all he's got? But sometimes that's all you need, you know, and he's, he's, he's become a much better player for winning things. And it'd be, I wonder what he'd be like in the Man United team, whether he'd be, he'd sink with that trace because surrounded by inferior players. But, you know, he's, he's done a great job for Liverpool and, you know, Fabinho's a good, been a great signing. I think Milner's been a great signing. I'd love to ask James Milner all that, when he was at, when he was booed for, or jeered for leaving Man City, whether he now looks back thinking that he's a Liverpool player or he's a Man City player. In terms of when he retires and people think, what, you know, which club define your career? Because he won Premier Leagues and FA Cups at, at Man City. I still think he'd say, he'd say Leeds, you know. Yeah, but you might be saying that. But you don't sound thinking it. But, but you know, if, <laughs> very good. If he comes to, he's going to win a Premier League title this year. Sorry to kind of mention winning the Premier no, League. Guys, no, no, you know, no. Speaking of that, no, I'm allowed to my mic. I've seen many titles over the years. Now. Give me that one, please. <laughs> but no, I think he'll win a Premier League medal this year. He'll win. He's won a Champions League. I think when you know, he'll be one of the legendary figures of this Liverpool team. And in terms of the decade, he'd be my team of the decade, James Miller, because. What he did at Man City, went to Liverpool. He's been outstanding for ten years. It's a whole other show why you would be remembered as a Liverpool player, not a Manchester City player. It's because people don't remember Manchester City players, but they do remember Liverpool players and Manchester United players. Mark Ogden, thank you very much. Andy Heaton, see you later. Uh, great stuff across the board. The question is uh, back with uh, with Paddy, with Rebecca, with John, and with Dan. The question is obviously Liverpool's lineup, uh, Paddy. It's not one where you're expecting a ton of changes. It does seem as though at the moment, um, unless something significant happens or there's the need to rotate which there isn't off the back of a week's rest it'll be the goalkeeper will obviously be the goalkeeper the back four will be the back four uh, you'd be surprised if the front three isn't just the front three you'd be surprised if Henderson and Manaldum don't play we're almost t- just discussing one, one, one place or do you think there is a chance he might do something a bit more dramatic in midfield no I think it is that one place up for grabs in midfield I think I think it's really interesting what he does because I think a lot of people like myself were surprised he went with Chamberlain over Lallana at Tottenham um, and I think I mean, obviously paid off in the end, we won the game. And I think, in his thinking, I think he thought, if we start fast, because naturally they'll sit, Chamberlain's more useful. He's, he's always got a goal in him. I think that, that's obviously useful away for moments to get you on the front foot. And, and we've seen that with him in the post, and he's, he's always arise in the box. Um, I, I think with this one, I think it might be more suited to, and I think he might and I think he, he might go Lallana. I think, he deserve, I think he deserves a big, big start in the league. I know we got the start over Christmas at home and things like that, but I think... Although these these aren't at the level of Tottenham, I just I just think the type of game it is. You, you say play the game, not the occasion, things like that. But it's Man United at home. The crowd's going to be the way it is, and it, it will always be that way. And I just think Lallana running around his energy levels as he's shown recently, back to arguably better than ever before. I mean, there's always there's that standout season sixteen seventeen, but there, there is an argument he hasn't moved like this in, in a long long time. Um, so I think, I think that's the question whether it be Lallana or Chamberlain. Like, like I said, Chamberlain's always got a goal in him, and, that, and, that, and that's the threat, and, and the manager likes him. Uh, so I think it is between them two, and the rest will stay the same. Rest will probably stay the same, Rebecca. If it is Lalana and Chamberlain, which way are you going? Uh, I prefer Lalana uh, personally. I just think, obviously, with it being uh, Manchester United, um, I think we want the experience and we also want the grit. I think Lalana has just got a bit more grit than Chamberlain to his game, and um, I just think. That would be a better way to start. It's a bit, it's a bit stronger. Yeah. If it's, do you think it's those two, by the way, or do you think that he might have, he might have a bit of a swerve in the manager? No, I think, I think, if, look, I think if you got him in a room and, and he spoke honestly, I think he'd love Naby Keita, and I think he'd probably said the same about Tottenham, and he's probably still saying the same about Tottenham that he'd love Naby Keita in that team. 
um, because I think it's not going to be too dissimilar against United. I think they'll sit in. I think we'll have to be good between the lines. Um, and I think he might just want a similar scenario to play out and that Chamberlain gives you a bit of chaos. Arguably needs to be a bit better on the ball, but it gives you a bit of chaos for the first hour and then Lallana comes on with tons of house, tons of running, tons of intelligent movement um, and, and he looks at it that way. I, I, I'm I stuck between what they're going to do. I think I think there's a part of them that are going to do what they've done at Old Trafford, a big part of them and just sit in uh, and try and break when they can, but I think they'll have a little bit of ego about them <coughs> with what they've done to City. Especially if Rashford makes it, I'm not sure if he will or not, but I think with the way they counted against City, I think there might be a little bit of them saying, "Come on, we can, you know, we can get at these. We can look to it. We can look to counter as, as opposed to just finding ourselves in situations if it breaks for us, etc." So it's up to us. It's up to us to move them, to penetrate them, um, and to start fast, which we'll need to do. I'm sure we will. They beat City uh, 2-1 they started very, very quick, John. Um, I take Dan's point there, but the flip side of that is that when we went to Old Trafford, and I think it is the li- the thing that's been ever so slightly forgotten is that they played the back five uh, yeah. when we were at Old Trafford. I think everyone sort of glossed over that in hindsight because they scored the goal and they have a couple of other breaks forward that everyone's forgotten. Martial wasn't fit that day, so he goes with Rashford and James, plays them both really, really wide, and then it's Pereira sort of sitting in and doing horrible things, but in the number 10 position. I'm quite... Uh, I, I think he has got it's intriguing that for a man who's got as many injuries as he's got and a squad that isn't really functioning the way he'd like Solskjaer does have a little bit of a headache because he may well want to go back to something similar but to do that he probably has to drop Martial well he hasn't got enough defenders either so he's he's, he's only got two fit centre-halves unless uh, apparently Jones was on the bench midweek yeah um, I think back as well. played in a reserve game in the week it's a big shout to throw him in at Anfield I think on the back of uh, I think an hour in a reserve game and so so he's, he's, he's. I think you know we, we talk about the problems he's got in centre midfield. I think you know if it's centre half, he, he might have. A, he might be having a bit of a think about what he can do there as well and what he can get away with. I think that back three though did allow them obviously it's sort of that that springboard to have to have two in front. And then as you say, the Pereira is the ten and, and two up top. And I think even if Rashford isn't fit, then you know he's got Martial who can go with there or even Mason Greenwood and play a similar way. I think they'll try and do a similar thing to what they did to us at home. Um, I think they be because they play more or less like an away side in that game anyway and so I think they'll go similar I think they'll go young but he's got you talk about nice little <clears throat> well selection headaches I mean Juan Matas given one hasn't he I thought he was excellent against Norwich and then he scores the winner in the week and you know we might be thinking well can he you know does he, I, I reckon two weeks ago if he said you start Juan Matas at, uh, at, at Anfield and he said absolutely no chance I'm going to go with legs I'm going to go with younger players but you know he's he's almost his form fella now isn't he he scored at Anfield before yeah um, likes it likes it yeah, yeah and so and so that's it you know will he, will he, will he be tempted there I don't know I mean it's, you've always got the options off the bench haven't you and that's what we're talking about from a Man United point of view but also a Liverpool one you know will he will he you know, do, you know, Fabinho's back in training. Would he would he be tempted to throw him straight back in there and give him the go, or is he looking at Wolves or Shrewsbury for for him? I don't know, but you know, he might. You know, he's. I think both managers will be thinking as much about well, who who would I like to bring on on Semsey, who would I like there if if the scores kind of our way or if I need something, then, then who necessarily I'm starting. I, I think for you, sorry for United, he'll, he'll be looking to you know the likes of Pereira just run them into the ground <laughs> almost. You know what I mean? You know, just just lads, just give me everything you've got, and then and then we'll have changes from the back of that. Um, Shakiri was down to play against Wolves, uh, gets the injury. Uh, Wolves are coming up, that's why it's sort of in mind. But last season he scores two against United from the bench. Paddy, um, if there was a bit of a wild card selection and knowing it's worth remembering that if United you know play, if we think United are playing the way they played when we went to Old Trafford 
he changes that to go four two three one. He changes that to bring Alana on wide right, and everyone was in our end was 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 mildly disappointed. It's fair to say it'll be different now, but that was the way in which it went. And I do sort of wonder whether or not he might, in the back of his mind, whether or not it involves starting Shakiri or maybe even starting Alana and then set decide in the shape once you see their team. He maybe he might be thinking of doing that. Yeah, I I really like Shakiri. I just I just don't think the manager trusts him. I trust the manager, so that I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right with that. So and I, I think. Th- yeah, he did come out and say he would have started Wolves at home, and I, can, and I couldn't understand why. And I think, I think he does see the value of Shakiri, and I think there's certain games, but I just, I know they're not great, but I just think United at home. I just don't think he, he, he's got other things going on. I don't think he'd be bothered with Shakiri being in his head out. <laughs> um, and I like, like you said, I think, I think one of the reasons, and John mentioned it before, I think why I, I think he might go Lallana ahead of Chamberlain is is the sub thing, and who's more likely to win me the game with 20 minutes to go or half an hour or whatever. And like you said about seeing seeing what they do first, I think Lalana gives you that flexibility. If, if they decide, you know what, we've got no hope sitting, then we may as well go for it. Lalana gives you that flexibility of being able to drop five yards or get about the pitch a bit more and just a bit more defensively sound than a Chamberlain or a Shaqiri. Um, but, like, but like you said, they're not too bad options to come on. Shaqiri came on and won it last year. He'll be desperate to play. I think he's... he's he, He's one of the players, a bit of an ego. He, he, he likes he likes to, to put on a show, and I think he likes to have the ball. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think other players on the team notice that as well. And I think whenever Shakiri seems to play, other players buzz off him. If he, if he gives it, he'll yeah. get it back. Or like he's one of the players. He can make a run and think he's going to hit. You. Very clever, intricately, in little short passes and things like that. And I think him coming on and, and, and Chamberlain, you can argue whenever he comes on, he never doesn't give you the energy or a big a big stride forward and get the crowd up. I think. It depends what the managers. I think they'll just be two really good subs, and I think Lalana does give you that flexibility of listen. We don't know what they're going to do. Whatever they do, we can. We've got a plan for it in the second half. Move. Okay. Uh, give us a prediction, Dan. Three-one uh, again. Three-one again. Uh, okay, Rebecca. I think I'll go the same. I think three-one again. Yeah. Three-one. I was going to go three-one. I feel like a copy now. <laughs> it's uh, honestly you should like show you working on countdown used yeah, to be. Yeah, I know. I was going to go three-one. I think they'll score, but I think we'll win handsomely. Uh, th- everyone's saying three-one here, Paddy. I'm pointing out the fact that the goalkeeper's only conceded five goals in the league. Yeah, I was going to say that. So they're on a bit of a run, anti clean sheet wise, and I think. I think Solskjaer's got a headache going forward as well, whether he drops Greenwood then he, and, and Rashford might miss it and it's, it's a lot of pressure on a young line to start at Anfield. I, I, I think we, we keep a clean sheet again, I think 3-0, maybe 4. 3-0, maybe 4. It's a big, big Sunday night out with Paddy. Uh, <laughs> the back of 4-0 at home against Manchester United. Listen, thank you very much to everyone who's contributed to the show this week. Thank you very much to Paddy, to John, to Rebecca and to Dan. It has been the weekend at Liverpool go uh, and face Manchester United at Anfield 3-1 last season. Let's see what it is this. Sports Social Podcast Network.